Hi, everybody. Time for another big fun edition of the Shared Interest Podcast. Today, I have a show, and it is fascinating. Or at least the topic's fascinating. Not sure yet how the show part will turn out, but as far as all that goes, I am the host. I am Tommy. I am also the producer, the engineer. I run things around here. It's even my band playing in the background. This is my United States of whatever. And this is what I've decided to do. I have decided to do a show about the big Robert Mueller investigation. I know, I know. There's a lot of fatigue on this subject. But I promise you, fine listener, this will not be some boring rerun of things you've already heard. I get it. The zone is flooded with coverage of all things Trump all the time. And that can get pretty stale. But my show is fresh. My show is the good shit. Because there's a massive expose on corruption right in front of us. There's disinformation and manipulation, propaganda and media narratives, indictments and plea deals. There's a lot of intriguing things here in the big Bob Mueller investigation. And the whole thing is fascinating. That's probably why I was originally compelled to do the George Papadopoulos podcasts. The way this thing went down... It's just so remarkable. And today's show is hopefully a fun documentary about it all. I'm not sure there's any place that's done a fun documentary like this. The info stream seems to be more catered towards short attention spans, like a quick hit tabloid story, little microburst of controversy. Those seem to be the popular things. The cycle of tabloid Trump headline followed by some outrage, followed by the next headline, followed by some more outrage. Uh, to each their own, but it gets pretty tired, and my show's not going to do anything like that. Also, my show is not a politics podcast. Wait, that might be confusing. How can I be doing a show about the Mueller investigation, yet not be doing a politics podcast? Maybe a quick overview of the show would help. So this podcast is about the Robert Mueller investigation and the circumstances surrounding the 2016 presidential election, but there are no political opinions involved. Yes, there are politicians involved, but I'm not doing any political opinions, no commentary. That's the distinction. The policy positions of Donald Trump, irrelevant. My opinion of Donald Trump, irrelevant. It's not a pundit show. There's plenty of places that cover that genre already. If you want to hear how awful the administration is or how great they are, you can find that. I'm not interested in any of that. My show is much more of a post-discovery memo. Like, here's all the information that I've gone through, and here's what I've found. It's a documentary. Because at this point, there are just so many details that have been declassified and are now publicly available you do have to compile them from several different sources, which can be a bit of a pain in the ass, but the information itself, the info is all there. And not silly media information. There's no no citations today to any media articles, no editorials or cable news. Legit case info. Like the court dockets, the FOIA records, the congressional records, the hearing transcripts, the raw information's available. And if you take the time to sync it up, it tells quite a story. Uh, this Mueller investigation has some real quirkiness to it. And throughout the show today, I'll be intellectually honest about what it is. I think that's a big part of why the Papadopoulos podcasts were so well received. 
The kid pop shows were intellectually honest. I'm not afraid to draw a conclusion from the information, but I'm not pulling for a side. I'm not doing any partisan nonsense. And I really think that people can tell when you're genuine. I just happened to have always had this interest in governmental affairs. I was already spending the time researching all of this stuff. And since any dope can have a podcast these days, here we are. And maybe you'll find it as interesting as I do. I mean, presidential elections seem pretty important. The biggest power game on the planet, probably. Is that overstating it? Fighting to become the leader of the free world or whatnot. And how the 2016 game went down is just so awesome. It's off the charts. I absolutely love it. And as we go through, I think you'll see it makes perfect sense. It's not complicated. But there was some really wild stuff going on. So let's talk about it. Okay, first off, um, we probably need a foundation. Always important to have a foundation. The Bob Mueller investigation was initiated in May of 2017. And Acting Attorney General Rod Rosenstein signed Order Number 39152017. Documentary, we've got to be official. The order was 39152017. The, that order appointed Robert S. Mueller III as a special counsel to the United States Department of Justice. The order gave Bob Mueller authorization to take over an existing investigation into any links or coordination between the Russian government and individuals associated with the campaign of Donald Trump. (laughs) Why would there be an investigation already opened regarding links or coordination between the Russian government and individuals associated with the campaign of Donald Trump? That's a great question and something we're going to talk a lot about. But the important piece of the foundation is to understand that Bob Mueller is taking over an existing investigation. But there's another important piece of the foundation for today's show, and that is the people involved. So let's talk through that for a minute. The players involved here are high-ranking government officials, you know, folks with carefully crafted public personas. But for foundation, it's important that we look at the actual people, not the narratives about them. Actions speak louder than words, all that kind of stuff. Today's show is a documentary, so it only discusses what people did. But since a lot of the people involved are tied to the Obama administration, it's probably necessary to do an additional disclaimer. I am not picking on anyone. I'm not picking sides. It just so happens that this show is about a topic that the Obama administration was heavily involved in. My show is not some low-wattage, left-versus-right thing. I'm not throwing any chairs. It's not a cable news freak show with people screaming over each other. No political bias thing going on. But there probably is a bit of a Myers-Briggs thing. Are you familiar with that? Personality type testing? Myers-Briggs, disc behavioral inventory. There's tons of them. Um, Myers-Briggs is probably one of the most well-known The Myers-Briggs test has a measurement that they call thinker versus feeler. People are generally either more analytical or they're more emotional. Some folks fall in the middle, but usually you're one or the other. And therefore, you prefer communication that matches your personality type. If you're a feeler, you like emotional input. If you're a thinker, you're more into factual reporting. 
Neither is a flaw. There's not a right way or a wrong way. It's just an observation and a measurement of how people are generally wired. With that said, my show pretty much pins the needle to the thinker side. But I get that there are people who are feelers, and they process information on an emotional level. Unfortunately, sometimes that gets misconstrued as left versus right, when it's really not about the political spectrum at all. It's thinker versus feeler. It's not left versus right. And I've seen those signals get crossed quite a few times. Because in the land of the feelers, sometimes things get reduced down to, this is good, that is evil. A lot of people crave that. The simplicity of just having a team good and a team bad. And our current political environment is that team good versus team bad narrative on crack. It's just out of control. Um, Social media has pretty much turned it into a bit of a feeler fest. You plant your flag as team good, and that's carte blanche for any deranged emotional outburst that you feel like having. (laughs) You can say wild and hateful shit as long as you've declared that you are a fighting member of team good. And that makes the landscape just a bit treacherous. It's rough out there for thinkers right now, because the feelers are on tilt. And if you're a thinker, you're just doing normal thinker shit you might end up saying something like, hey, this Trump policy is pretty good. Oh, boy, (laughs) now you've done it. (laughs) Oh, no, no. Oh, no. Now the feelers are going to come and label you team bad and attack you like a crazy mob. Because for feelers on tilt, there's just no nuance. It can only be orange man bad. So if you talk about how the Bob Mueller investigation is doing some really questionable stuff... It freaks the feelers out. Orange man bad is the only acceptable answer. No matter what the evidence shows, it's got to be orange man bad. And obviously, that's a fairly ignorant way to approach any situation. And it's not the feelers are dumb. It's that they're emotionally crippled right now. Um, This whole Trump thing has really set them off. (laughs) Weird place, man. So... From the start, I get that doing a show about the Mueller investigation is a minefield because the emoters are going to be looking to shut the conversation down because they can't reconcile the information with how they feel. And I'm really not trying to hurt anyone's feelings. It's just some people are so emotionally invested in the Trump-Russia thing that any objective look at Bob Mueller's investigation is just not welcome. There is an open-door policy on feeling satisfied about yourself for declaring that you're on Team Good. But if you want to take an objective look at exactly what Team Good is doing here, there's not always a receptive audience for that. Intellectual honesty ain't always popular. And that's fine. It really is. Uh, For anyone who is interested in the Bob Mueller investigation, it's important to have an understanding, a foundation for number one, Bob Mueller's taking over an an existing investigation, and number two, for how the Obama administration generally operated. The people who opened that investigation initially, it's important to understand how they generally operated. So, show of hands, who is familiar with Lynchpins of Liberty versus United States? D.C. Circuit. Lawsuit, civil court. The IRS targeting scandal. 
lowest learner. Not sure how widely known this all is, but here's the quick and the dirty. The linchpins of liberty sued the United States of America over abuses committed by the Internal Revenue Service, the IRS, the tax man. And linchpin received a settlement in that case, including, get this, an apology from the U.S. government. For real. They got a written apology included in the settlement. You can't technically say that Lynchpin won the case because it was settled before verdict, but getting a significant monetary award and an apology is pretty convincing. And here's what the case docket on that matter showed. During the 2012 election cycle, and that was Obama versus Romney, the 2012 election cycle, high-ranking IRS officials were flagging 501c3 campaign committee applications for review based upon the policy positions of the campaign committee. Team Obama weaponized the IRS to slow down their opponents from forming campaign committees during the 2012 presidential election cycle. You like that? Is that a good one or what? The Treasury Department of the United States of America is rigging inspections to harass the political opponents of Obama and the Democrats during a presidential election cycle. Uh, Are you getting a feel for the landscape here? It comes at you pretty quick. Uh, Specifically, the linchpin IRS scandal was owned by Miss Lois Lerner. She was a unit director and a routine audit turned up a bunch of irregularities. It turns out there were an inordinate amount of delays in getting campaign committees approved, and those delays were being caused by the IRS making demands for information that wasn't actually required. But those irregularities only impacted Republican campaign committees. Oh, that's pretty neat, huh? You target your opponent campaign committees to influence an election. I mean, how much impact was Lynchpins of Liberty really going to have on the election? I don't That's debatable. But the relevant point, the takeaway is, here's an administration that's fully willing to weaponize an agency against their opponents. And that's pretty fucked up. Um, I mean, think about how many times you've heard the term election interference at this point. But then ask, how many times have I heard election interference in the context of this confirmed, verifiable abuse by the Obama IRS against grassroots groups that were opposed to his 2012 re-election. My guess is not many, because that doesn't make Team Good look so good, does it? So we tend not to discuss those kind of things in polite company. Anyway, in the IRS scandal, the FBI was assigned to investigate the audit findings to see if there were any illegal activities. Guess what? The FBI said there was no evidence of any wrongdoing. Obama's Department of Justice and FBI cleared Obama's Treasury Department and IRS. See how that works? Well, of course, the Republicans in Congress had an absolute fit, and they tried to investigate it. But when they called Lois Lerner to testify, she took the fifth. Uh, We have evidence that the IRS targeted political rivals. Will you please explain yourself? My counsel has advised me that I have not waived my constitutional rights under the Fifth Amendment, and on his advice, I will decline to answer any question on the subject matter of this hearing. No, Chairman Issa, I have nothing to say about that. Let me hear her again. Play that again. 
My counsel has advised me that I have not waived my constitutional rights under the Fifth Amendment, and on his advice, I will decline to answer any question on the subject matter of this hearing. <laughs> After that circus left town, as you'd expect, Lynchpin and the other groups that were impacted by the IRS abuses, they filed civil suit. And that is how we get the real story of what happened. Naturally, nobody caught any criminal charges, but the IRS had to settle the civil matter. And like I was saying, the settlement included not only the standard monetary award, but they also got an apology where the IRS enumerated their abuses. It was a really fun read. Lynchpin of Liberty versus United States in D.C. Circuit, U.S. Court of Appeals. All my Lexus geeks out there, Westlaw, whatever your preference, whatever. good times, good read, good read. Anyway, to have an informed discussion there needs to be an understanding that the Obama administration stretches the idea of teen good really far. Uh, They abuse their authority constantly in many different ways. But there's a fair amount of political illiteracy out there. And I don't even mean that as an insult. People genuinely are not familiar with a lot of the fucked up things that the Obama administration was doing. And you mix that with the simplicity and the comfort of just announcing that you are on Team Good, and Team Good only does good and righteous things. And that creates the environment where we end up with over-emotional, under-informed population. It's quite a combo. (laughs) Timeless recipe for making useful idiots. You're emotionally unstable, and you're ill-informed. That's a lot of static to cut through. And a lot of people have no desire to cut through the static. Which is cool, but... For my Bob Mueller investigation podcast, it's important to have a baseline understanding of how the Obama administration generally operated because it was the Obama administration that initiated the investigation that Bob Mueller eventually took over. So when we dive into that and talk about all the abuses of authority that are involved, we should recognize it isn't some one-off. They did this kind of crap constantly. But the comfort of the team good bubble is created by sticking to the scripts and blocking out any of these type of inconvenient facts and documents. And God knows the completely biased media is going to go out of their way to stick to the script. Hell, half the time the media is creating the script. But here on the nonpartisan thinker show, we are not going to do that. We're not going to hide the ugly truth of it. Obama and friends were big on weaponizing federal agencies to attack their political opponents. That was their MO. I mean, don't get me wrong, that administration did all the standard corrupt things too. Here's a quick and easy one for you. Marty Nesbitt. You know about Marty? Co-CEO of a Chicago-based private equity firm, the Vistria Group. Good friends with the Obamas, via Michelle actually. Here's how this little game is run. So Marty starts up a private equity fund. And what is his niche? Online education. For-profit web colleges like University of Phoenix Online, UOP. Everyone's heard of that. They must have. Well, Marty has not only heard of it, but Marty is also pals with Barry and Michelle. And that comes with some pretty neat perks. So before Marty buys into the Apollo Group, that's the parent company of UOP, Before Marty buys Apollo Group stock, the Obama administration uses their regulatory authority to crush the online education market. They just decide to suspend all federal reimbursement programs, like the GI Bill, from paying for any type of online courses. (laughs) 
Boom. Now the Apollo stock is wiped out. Regulation just chokes the market away. Ah, but Marty's private equity firm, they see value. So Vistria begins buying up huge chunks of Apollo on the cheap. And then, coincidentally enough, the administration reconsiders their decision and they lift the regulatory restrictions. What do you know? The Apollo Group stock boomerangs back, it shoots up, and now Marty's rich. And that little game is commonly referred to as a regulatory smash and grab. It's not new, and as you just heard, it's not particularly complicated. You just gotta be wired into some corrupt fuck who can actually pull it off. And Marty was. That's kind of the point of the foundation here, is the Obama administration was not exactly full of great people. They did all the usual enrich your cronies things that corrupt politicians do. But there's so much political illiteracy about it out there. And the mainstream media, they're certainly not going to try to inform you about it. So there's this huge lack of awareness. We talked about the IRS scandal a minute ago. That's the one that probably broke through to mainstream the most. But very rarely is it actually discussed in its true context, which is the abuse of a federal agency with the specific intent of interfering with an election. And even though that's super fucked up, it is nothing compared to the big dog, the granddaddy of them all, Edward Snowden and the United States surveillance apparatus. Oh, everybody knows this story. Ed Snowden blew the whistle, kind of started a mini truth revolution along with Glenn Greenwald, Julian Assange, they proved that the United States government was lying about their surveillance habits. U.S. intel agencies were monitoring essentially all communications, and that was all happening on Obama's watch. It is what it is. It was Obama's director of national intelligence, James Clapper. He was the one who lied to Congress about the surveillance programs, kind of the jump-off point for the entire Snowden thing. And if you're not familiar with the specifics of the Snowden leak, that's fair. We can pause here real quick and just cover a couple of the details. Snowden was a contractor for the United States government, and he copied and leaked classified information from the NSA. The NSA is the National Security Agency. And in 2013, Ed took NSA, National Security Agency, information, and he found journalists who were willing to publish it. And they revealed some of the extent of the global surveillance programs, the ability of the United States intelligence agencies to acquire and search essentially all communications, text messages, emails, browsing histories. They were collecting hundreds of millions or billions of records. And the materials that Ed Snowden released were actually the specs of some of the tools that had been developed to do those intel captures and searches. If you want to put it simply, Ed posted a screen cap of the, hey, we're going to read your shit whether you like it or not app that the NSA had built. I mean, I don't think you can download that one in the app store, but when Ed Snowden released it, it unequivocally proved that the testimony that DNI Clapper gave to Congress under oath was a big pack of lies. And that's Obama's number one guy. That's the DNI. He appointed James Clapper. And James was up to his neck in perjury. Who else was dialed in? Uh, then director of the NSA, Keith Alexander. It was Keith that deceived the House Intelligence Committee about the surveillance programs. It was September of 2013. He was testifying under oath before Congress. And he said this, quote, 
I believe it is in the nation's best interest to put all the phone records into a lockbox that we could search, end quote. Oh, put them in a box and search it, huh? Well, before we talk all about that, a quick recap of the foundation. All important to know. Number one, Bob Mueller is appointed as special counsel to take over an investigation that was launched by the Obama Department of Justice and FBI. Number two, the Obama administration is very fond of weaponizing government agencies against their political rivals. And number three, the administration had control of the massive intel surveillance apparatus that Snowden told us about. Do you see where we're going here? I think you do. Two and two is always four. It's not complicated. And it's not some conspiracy theory either, man. This is what's in the record. There's no X-Files shit. There won't be any vague references. There's no shadowy figures. There's not going to be any of that undefined they on my show that, oh, they were doing it. Well, I know exactly who they were. So let's name names. Are you ready? Better get ready. Bow to the masters. Break it down. Yeah, that's right. Break it down. D Government X. DX, the click. What's that D Government X about? Well, <laughs> it's a small group of insiders that hold extremely powerful positions. And they all just so happened to really want a smooth transition from Barry to Hillary. That would have been best for everyone's career. And DX is totally willing to do whatever it took to try to make that happen, including using the NSA database to do oppo research. Oh, baby, how you like that? Part of the blueprint for DX winning elections was to use the U.S. intel apparatus, the Snowden databases, to search up their political opponents so they could get the drop on them. Oh, you like that? You like that? How surreal is that? But that's the type of people we are dealing with here. And primarily, the specific individuals involved are from the United States Department of Justice, Sally Yates, John Carlin, Lisa Page, and Bruce Orr. From the Federal Bureau of Investigation, James Comey, Andrew McCabe, and Peter Strzok. And our special guests retained experts from the law firm Perkins & Cooey, Mark Elias from Fusion GPS, Glenn Simpson, Mary Jacoby, Nellie Orr, and from Orbis Security, Chris Steele. That is the click. That's DX. And Bob Mueller was appointed as special counsel. He was authorized to conduct the investigation that they started. When I say they, I don't mean a shadowy conspiracy. I mean that group of about a dozen people within DOJ, FBI, and the White House, plus their handful of trusted associates that I just called retained experts for simplicity. Doesn't take a lot of people. It takes the right people. Let's go back to the whole Snowden thing. There are huge databases that store all of our communications. But how would you go about using them to spy on your political opponents? Logistically, how could you pull that off without getting caught? Exactly step by step, what would you do to get that done? I hadn't really ever thought about it before, but 
when I saw the documentation of what happened, it makes perfect sense. It's just a two-step process. Step one, obstruct the oversight. And in July 2015, as the presidential election cycle was starting to fire up, United States Deputy Attorney General Sally Yates released an opinion memo. And what that memo did essentially was carve out an exception to the types of information that the Department of Justice Inspector General, the audit body, it carved out a narrow exception from what the Inspector General had access to for audit. You can read the AG opinion memo. It's dated July 20, 2015. The full title, buckle up for this one. The Department of Justice Inspector General's access to information protected by the Federal Wiretap Act Rule 6E of the Federal Rules of Criminal Procedure and Section 626 of the Fair Credit Reporting Act. You can Google that. Or wait, duck, duck, go that. Damn, I got to get Google out of my vocabulary. But back to this. Specifically, Sally's opinion letter carved a narrow exception for where OIG oversight was removed, and that narrow carve-out belonged to the Department of Justice National Security Division, the folks that interface with the Snowden database. Step two, outsource the operation. What? Yeah. (laughs) The Obama administration allowed third-party contractors to access the raw NSA data. Third-party contractors. That's a pretty extraordinary decision, (laughs) wouldn't you say? Um, And that little tidbit of information became known later via a court document dated April 26, 2017. The Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court released a memorandum opinion and order, and it had a lot of information in it, including the fact that Assistant Attorney General John Carlin, the head of the National Security Division of the Department of Justice, allowed private contractors to access and search the Snowden databases. It's a nice one-two punch. Step one, Deputy Attorney General Yates sends a memo and removes the oversight. Step two, Assistant Attorney General Carlin authorizes the political ops folks that were posing as national security contractors to access and search the data. Boom. (laughs) How we looking, team? Good. Uncountable number of headlines, social media posts about Trump, the fascist dictator. Meanwhile, the Obama administration was abusing the fuck out of the U.S. surveillance apparatus and lying to Congress about it. They're weaponizing the IRS to derail campaign committees of their opponents and then taking the fifth. They're running regulatory smash and grabs to enrich their cronies. Oh, and that's team good. You politically illiterate fucks. Uh, But anyway, that's what makes my show different. So let's make some more sense out of the one-two punch real quick. You might know all this already, but just so everyone's on the same page. Back in 1978, Congress passed the original Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, FISA. You've probably heard that acronym by now. F-I-S-A, FISA Warrants, FISA Courts. All meaning FISA, Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. In 2008, Congress passed a big FISA amendments package, and part of that was Section 702. Section 702 of the FISA Amendments Act of 2008. Again, the F in FISA stands for foreign. The federal government is not supposed to spy on its own citizens. The Fourth Amendment and all that good stuff, legal search and seizure. 
they're only allowed to spy on icky terrorists from other countries. And Section 702 explains that a big no-no to use the intel apparatus to spy on U.S. citizens. Section 702 specifies that U.S. intelligence agencies may not intentionally acquire any communication as to which the sender and all his intended recipients are known at the time of the collection to be in the United States. But sometimes U.S. person communications do get swept up, and those are called incidental collections. We're trying to listen to Timmy Terrorist discuss his plot, but we accidentally get Sammy Citizen ordering a pizza. That's an incidental collection. Section 702 sets up what they call minimization procedures for incidental collections. When NSA does get Sammy Citizen in their collection by mistake, they've got to redact or mask that name, if you will. The opposite of that operation is called unmasking i.e. leaving the name of the U.S. person exposed in the intel. We'll be more about that later. But turns out, not only were the private contractors accessing the raw NSA data, the contractors were running searches that were way out of compliance with 702. They, they were intentionally acquiring intel on U.S. persons and then not following the minimization procedures. How great is that? <laughs> so we... We remove the oversight, we give access to our political friends, and then they run all kinds of illegal searches. And once again, this information comes from the FISA court opinion memo by Judge Rosemary Collier. It's dated April 26, 2017. There are parts of it that are redacted, but anyone can access and read it. It is absolutely incredible. It's been available for almost two years now. Um, The reason the info comes from the court is because under the statute, the NSA has to go through a certification process where the executive branch confirms to the judicial branch that the intel that they've collected and the access that they've allowed to that was in compliance. Well, they weren't. And that's how we ended up with this opinion order and memo. But DX almost got away with it. It was actually someone from outside the clique that stumbled upon it told the court. (laughs) That is the only reason we end up knowing about any of this. So here's how it went down. And again, all of this from the FISA court opinion of April 26, 2017. It's like a hundred page order, but there is so much great stuff in it. Beginning in November of 2015, DOJ's National Security Division, the NSD, used private contractors and they allowed them to run FISA 2, which is section 702.16, to and from, and about searches, 702.17. That's probably too highly technical. So what the court order showed was that NSD used private contractors, and those private contractors rang up tons of to, from, and about searches against the data. And even though DX, D-Government X, had hid the ball from the rank-and-file DOJ and FBI... The contractors are still hitting the NSA database. And in early April 2016, NSA Director Mike Rogers is doing just some routine certification procedural work. And he sees the magnitude of access that's been hitting the database. And he's like, who the fuck is running all these searches? So he orders the NSA compliance officer to check into it. And remember, Sally Yates, she can shut down the Department of Justice oversight because she's the DAG, she's the Deputy Attorney General. 
So nobody on that side of the house can see that Carlin allowed the improper access. But Sally Yates can't control the NSA. And she's shit out of luck because it turns out that Admiral Mike Rogers, the director of the NSA, is actually an honest and ethical person. And he takes his Fourth Amendment obligations seriously. Such a Boy Scout. Clear and present danger? Jack Ryan? Anyone? Never mind. Such a Boy Scout. So, April 18th, 2016, after the NSA compliance officer informs Director Rogers that the reason why there's so many searches is that NSD allowed contractors to bang the fuck out of the system. So Rogers immediately suspends all the NSD contractor access to the databases, and he has his team begin a compliance review. Now, DOJ doesn't really know what's going on. They don't have a window into the NSA operations. So in September 2016, in their ordinary course of business, as required by the FISA statute, Assistant Attorney General John Carlin needs to file the government's Section 702 certifications with the court. Except Carlin decides not to disclose any of the improper access or the 702 violations that were occurring. He's going to use all that stuff out. And the court accepts the filing, and they have 30 days to review and approve the certifications. The court, being a court, schedules that approval for the 30th day. So it's actually October 26, 2016 is when they were going to complete the approval process. But during that 30-day review time... Once again, NSA Director Mike Rogers steps in. After being advised that the DOJ entered the 702 certifications into the docket, Rogers alerts the DOJ that those certs are inaccurate and he has some additional information that he's going to need to add to that. Um, uh Uh-oh, alert, alert. (laughs) The click is not happy. So they route back through DOJ and Clapper ends up sending a recommendation to President Obama that Rogers be removed from his director position at the NSA. (laughs) Oh, how wonderful is that? James Clapper, the guy who lied under oath to Congress about the very existence of the Snowden databases, he's now recommending that Rogers be removed as the NSA director because Rogers is unwilling to cover up the serial abuses that he became aware of. (laughs) Unbelievable. (laughs) Unbelievable stuff. Oh, But before DX can close on Rogers, he goes over to the FISA court and verbally tells the judge about the 702 violations. Um, He subsequently did follow up with a formal written notice of the 702 abuses, and you can read that. Um, The FISA court, of course, refused to accept the 702 certifications that were submitted by Carlin. It ends up taking until April 2017 to get all the certifications corrected and tail all of the abuses. But when the court finally accepts the certification, the judge loaded up the order with all of these lovely details of what has gone on. (laughs) And that's how we know. Um, John Carlin ends up resigning from the Department of Justice rather than going through an investigation into his behaviors. To date, Carlin has not been charged criminally for any of the material omissions in the certifications that he submitted to the FISA court. However, in the congressional record, Chairman Goodlock, quote, Raw 702 acquired information was given to a private entity that was not a federal agency and whose personnel were not sufficiently supervised by a federal agency and did not comply with Section 702 procedures, end quote. Again, it's not some conspiracy. There's no UFOs, no holograms. It's all right there in the docket. I don't recall seeing much coverage 
about the FISA abuses committed by the Obama administration or the fraudulent certifications that the NSD passed to the court. Media Guard seems to be not real interested in covering those kinds of stories. So don't worry, though, Team Good. You can still be the unflinching beacon of truth and justice shining brightly in these troubling times. And that is going to do it for part one of the Big Bob Mueller Investigation Podcast. I didn't really want to make a two-hour podcast, so I decided to split it into a four-part series. There is a lot more to come. We still need to meet the real stars of our show, Carter Page and George Papadopoulos. Because while everything on this episode is true and accurate, it doesn't explain at all why the FBI Counterintelligence Division opened investigations into the Trump campaign during the 2016 election. That is where Page and Pop come in. So let's talk more soon.